Amen. All right. Well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 2. And if you remember last week, we began a brand new uh, study in the book of Leviticus. And we're going to be going just one chapter a week through the book of Leviticus, uh, 27 weeks till we get through. And uh, today we find ourselves there in chapter 2. And uh, chapter 2 is all about, if you remember last week I had mentioned to you that the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus deal with the different sacrifices that the children of Israel gave. And I won't go back and review everything from last week. We realize that the Levitical priesthood has changed and no longer applies to us in the sense that we don't offer these sacrifices. But all scripture is given inspiration of God and all of it is profitable for us to be able to learn from and to be able to gather uh, wisdom from. And, and we'll, we'll see several things here tonight from this, uh, from, from this passage. Tonight will be very much of a Bible study, all right? So I want you to have a pen handy and maybe you can write something down, some things down and help you understand what's happening here. I want to begin with the definition of what's referred to as the meat offering. If you look at verse 1 there, Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord... Now, I think I talked about this either Sunday night or, 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 or Sunday morning, but the, the, the Bible here describes this offering as the meat offering. And what I want you to understand is that today, in our common use of the word meat, usually when we say meat, we are referring to flesh. We're referring to you know, the, the, the flesh of an animal that's being cooked and used for us to eat. But in the Bible, the definition of the word meat and the older definition of the word meat simply is a type of solid food. So I want you to understand when the Bible tells us here, there's a, what's interesting about the meat offering is that there's no meat in the meat offering. There's no flesh in the meat offering. It, it's, it's a bread. If you look at uh, verse 1 there again, it says, And when any will offer a meat offering, again, talking about food, not flesh, unto the Lord, his offering shall be of, notice, he gives us the ingredients of the meat offering. He says the, the meat offering shall be of these things. Notice, fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense thereon. So again, no bacon, all right? There's no, uh, no, no meat in the sense that you and I would use the word. So I want you to just understand that definition to begin with. And that will help you because throughout the Bible, the word meat is used. And often, it's not referring to flesh at all. It's just talking about food in general. And we need to be able to make those dis- distinctions. What I, the other thing I want you to notice, just kind of by way of introduction, is for this meat offering, it could be offered several different ways. And if you look, look at verse 1, again, just because I want you to uh, notice, if you look at the ingredients there, they were fine flour. If you look at the last part of verse 1, he is, the Bible says, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense there. And I want you to notice, there was two ways that you could bring the meat offering to the tabernacle and offer it unto the Lord. The first one was that you just brought the meat offering uh, as the bare ingredients and, and that, that make up the meat offering. You basically brought the meat offering and then the priest himself would kind of just put the whole thing together. Because notice verse 2. And he shall bring it. And he shall bring what? The ingredients that were just mentioned. The flour, the oil, the frankincense. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. And he shall take thereout his handful of 
of the flower thereof. So notice, they bring, they bring the flower, they bring the oil, they bring the frankincense, and then the priest himself reaches into the bag, you know, with the, with the uh, flower. And the Bible says, if you look at verse 2 there, that he shall take there out his handful of the flower. So notice, it's, it's, it's just the ingredients. He takes a handful of flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, and of the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. So you could bring the meat, the meat offering, which was not meat, not flesh, it's food. You could bring it uh, just as the bare ingredients that make up the meat offering, but you could also bring it a different way. And the second way gives you three different options of how to bring the meat offering. Look, look down at verse number three. You can also bring it as an already prepared uh, food, as already prepared uh, meal. No, notice what it says in verse 3. And the remnants of the meat offering shall be Aaron and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the things uh, of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. Notice verse 4. And if, if thou bring an oblation, that word oblation simply is a different word for the word offering. He says, if, if thou bring an oblation of the meat offering, notice what he says, bacon in the oven... All right, so you can take, you, you could just bring the flour, the oil, and the frankincense, or what you could do is you could take the flour, the oil, and the frankincense, and you can bake it in the oven before you bring it to the priest. Notice, it shall be unleavened cakes, a fine flour mingled with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. So I want you to notice, the, it's, it's cakes, it's wafers, already prepared. So you could either... You know, say, I'm going to bring a meat offering to the Lord and, and the people at home will take the flour, will take the oil, will take the frankincense, put it all together, put it in the oven. Or we're told in, in, in the rest of the passage here that you can do it on a frying pan, they could do it on, uh, uh, cook it different ways, and they could bring it to the priest already prepared. Or they could bring it to the priest as the bare ingredients. And I kind of want you to just understand, because I don't know that uh, many people really understand how these offerings work, so I, I kind of want you to get that foundation. And then... Uh, Tonight, I, I want to give you just two thoughts in regards to the meat offering. And for those of you that like to take notes, I'd like you to write this statement down. The meat offering is a picture of Christ. Uh, I told you that last week. All of, the, all of these offerings picture Christ. And I'm going to show you how they picture Christ uh, here in a moment. But I want you to understand that the, the, what you can learn from every single one of these offerings is that they are a picture of Christ, or they represent Christ. And you say, well, how does this meat offering represent Christ? Because remember last week we saw the bullock being sacrificed, and we saw how it pictured the Lord. But how does this meat offering represent uh, Christ? Well, I want you to understand, if you look at verse 1 of, of, again, it was the fine flour, right? It was the oil. It was the frankincense. If you skip down to verse number 4, notice what it says. If thou bring an oblation of the meat offering, and here there's several options. There's several ways that you could bring it. Notice, here's option number one. Bacon in the oven. It shall be unleavened cakes, a fine flour mingled with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And you say, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't like that option. Well, there's another option. Look at verse 5. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, notice option number two. Bacon in a pan. So you can bake it in the oven, or you can bake it in a pan. It shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mingled with oil. Thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereon. It is a meat offering. And then here's option number three. Look at verse seven. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, here's option three. Bacon in a frying pan. It shall be made of fine flour with oil. So you can do it in a frying pan. You can bake it in a pan. You can bake it in the oven. But here's what I want you to understand. What they're basically bringing as the meat offering is bread. 
It's a flour, you know, they, something they cooked with oil, with flour. And, and the Bible refers to it in verse 4 as a cake or as a wafer. So keep your place there in Leviticus 2. That's our text for tonight. Go to John chapter number 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. And let's see how this represents uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 6. Do me a favor. When you get to John, keep your place there because we're going to go back to Leviticus and then we're going to come back to the gospel. So I want you to be able to get to John uh, quickly. John chapter number 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 6. The first correlation with Christ in regards to the meat offering is that the meat offering was a bread. It was a cake. It was a wafer. It was something they cooked in the pan or in the frying pan. Or uh, it was bacon in the pan or bacon in the oven. And it was made out of flour and oil and frankincense. And they brought that to the priest. John chapter 6 and verse 31, the Bible says this, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. John 6, 31. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And this is referring back to the wilderness wanderings when the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness and God is feeding them by bringing manna down from heaven. And the Bible says it was bread from heaven to eat. Now, that manna that the children of Israel received for 40 years where they wandered in the wilderness and that bread came down from heaven, that pictured Christ, look at verse 32, and Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Notice verse 34, they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. He said, look, the true bread He said, that manna was just a picture of the true bread of God, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And they said, well, give us his bread. Notice verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. And this is one of those famous I am statements. In the book of John, the Lord Jesus Christ made seven I am statements. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the door. And here he says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So I want you to notice, throughout the Bible, not just with the, with the meat offering, but with the manna, and uh, throughout the Bible, the bread is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what's interesting. The bread also represents the Word of God. Because remember, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of my mouth. You say, well, why, does the, why is the Word of God represented as bread, specifically as manna? Because the manna, here in John 6, we're told, represents Jesus. But we're also told in other places that the manna represents Bible reading. Well, we're supposed to go out every day and, and eat from the Word of God and, and, and eat the manna. You say, well, why does the bread represent Jesus and the bread represent the Word of God? Well, if you remember several weeks ago when we were studying the, the doctrines of the church and all those things, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is the Word. And, and again, there's just another proof. And we saw there in Revelation that He's called the Word in John 1. He's called the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And we're told in John that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. That Word that came down from heaven was the bread of life, was the bread of God, was the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also the Word of God. It's the one and the same. So often people want to argue that doctrine, but it's interesting how many correlations there are between Jesus and the Word. So I want you to notice, how do we know that the meat offering pictures Christ? Well, first of all, because it's bread. 
It's bread, and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. Keep your place there in John. Go back to Leviticus chapter 2. What is the other correlation between the meat offering and Christ? Number one, we saw the flour or the bread product from the flour. But the second thing I want you to notice, look at verse 1 again, Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 1. And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour, notice this, he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. The second characteristic of the meat offering was not only that it was a flour product, a baked flour product, which is basically bread, but the second characteristic is that the meat offering was supposed to have oil poured upon it. All right, let's go back to the Gospels. If you kept your, your place in John, your finger in John, just go uh, backwards to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So just go back one book, Luke chapter number 4, and look at verse number 16. Luke chapter number 4 and verse number 16. So we saw that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We saw that Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And, and that correlates to the meat offering being bread that is being given to, uh, to, to the, as an offering there at the tabernacle. But the second characteristic of the meat offering that we see is that you're supposed to pour oil upon it. You're supposed to pour oil upon it. Luke chapter 4, look at verse 16. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, notice what the Bible says. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. He's reading out of the book of Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now notice, the Lord Jesus Christ is getting ready to begin his ministry. And he's reading a prophecy out of the book of Isaiah. And in verse 18, we see what he reads. Notice what he says. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath, notice this word, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. And, 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 and he goes on to read, you know, and he tells them, this day, this prophecy is fulfilled in your eyes, saying, this is the prophecy, this is who, who I am. And here's what I want you to understand. In the same way that the meat offering was supposed to be, have the oil poured on it, or be anointed with oil, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was anointed anointed with the Spirit of God. All throughout the Bible, oil is a picture or a representation of the Holy Spirit. Remember in our study in 1 and 2 Samuel, when David was anointed by Samuel to be king, they poured oil on his head. And as the oil came running down his head, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And throughout the Bible, we're told, you know, the anointing that is in you, it'll teach you, it'll guide you in a reference to the Holy Spirit. So we see the, the representations here, right? The meat offering, it's a bread. Jesus said, I am the bread. It's anointed with oil. Jesus was anointed with what the oil represents, which is the Holy Spirit. What's the other characteristic or the other uh, uh, similarity to Lord Christ? Keep your place there in Luke. All right, we're going to come back, come back to that, that area. Go back to Leviticus chapter 2. Look at verse 1 again. Leviticus chapter 2. Keep your finger there in Luke. Leviticus chapter number 2. Once you notice the, the third characteristic of the meat offering. And when any will offer a meat, Offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it, and put, notice, frankincense thereon. So they're also supposed to put frankincense, and here's what I want you to understand frankincense is often associated with bread 
in sacrifices. In, in fact, keep your place, or, or uh, well, we're going to come back to Leviticus too, but go to Leviticus 24 just real quickly. Leviticus 24, and look at verse number 5. Leviticus 24 and verse 5. Now I want you to notice how frankincense is often connected to the bread. Leviticus 24 and verse 5. The Bible says this. Leviticus 24, 5. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes. Right? So that all should sound familiar. Thereof two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows. So now he's telling them what to do with these cakes, you know, that they're bringing. He says, thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row. So again, he's told, take the flour, bake it into cakes. He said, I want you to put it into two rows of six, and then I want you to pour frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So here's what I'm just saying. They bake the bread, then they anoint it with the frankincense. They bake the bread with the oil, then they anoint it with the frankincense. Go, go back, if you kept your place there in Luke, go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 2. If you're there in Luke, you're going to go backwards, past Mark, into the book of Matthew. First book in the New Testament. Should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 2. And I'll, I'll just show you the probably the most famous mention of frankincense in Scripture, and I know you already know it. But let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 2. Now, Jesus said what? He said, I am the what? I am the bread, right? He said, I'm the true bread that cometh down from heaven. Well, when did Jesus come? He came, obviously, he was born of the Virgin Mary, and he, you know, the, God was manifest in the flesh. He became, uh, he, he came in a human body, you know, during what we refer to as the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 2, we're in one of those Christmas stories account, and I want you to notice verse 10. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, when they, all right, that's referring to the wise men, okay, and you can read it in its context, the wise men that were following the star. Notice, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child, that's Jesus, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, notice, and frankincense, and myrrh. So when the bread of God came to this earth, the wise men showed up, and what they gave them? One of the three things they gave them was frankincense. And again, just making that connection to that meat offering. The meat offering was bread. It was, had oil poured upon it. It, would, it had frankincense poured upon it. And the Lord, again, all of these times, receiving frankincense, having the Holy Spirit. There's one more characteristic I want you to notice. Uh, go to Leviticus uh, chapter 2 and skip down to verse number 11. We're going to hit the other verses here in a minute. But I want you to look at verse number 11. Leviticus chapter number 2 and verse number 11. Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. God's giving them instructions on to how to do the meat offering, how to present the meat offering, how to offer it. And in verse 11, he says this, No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. So one of the characteristics is not only that it's made out of flour, and it's not only that it has oil poured on it, and it's not only that it has frankincense poured on it, one of the other characteristics is that it's supposed to have no leaven. 
supposed to have no leaven. All right, keep your place in, in Leviticus. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. You're there in Matthew. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, all throughout the Bible, leaven is a picture of sin. And that's pretty clear, and we won't run any verses to prove that, but all throughout the Bible, famous passages of leaven tells us a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. And look, that's what will happen in your life if you allow a little sin to come into your life. And even and, and the context is that if we allow a little bit of sin to come into the church, it will leaven the whole lump. And you know, the, the, the applications are fornication and drunkenness, but you know what? Any sin, if you, if you don't check it, if you don't you know, get control over it, will get control over you. Any sin that you just allow to go unchecked in your life will leaven the entire lump. And whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornography, whether it's you know, bitterness, whether it's anger, whatever it is, hey, you need to check, you need to make sure that that leaven doesn't leaven the whole lump because that's what sin does. It grows. And leaven is always a picture of sin in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says this, Purge out, purge out, therefore the old what? Leaven. Notice, purge out, therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. Now notice what the Bible says here, For even Christ our Passover. Now, the Passover, and I'm going to preach about the Passover and all that here not in a few weeks as we're getting ready to do our, our Lord's Supper. But the Passover was not just a lamb that was sacrificed. There was a, something else that was given in the Passover, and that was bread. And it was unleavened bread. Now notice, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Look at verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So again, we see here a reference to the fact that Christ was our Passover without leaven. And what is that referring to? It's referring to the fact that He was without sin. And we talked about that last week, so we don't run all the verses. But the Bible tells us that He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. The only difference was He lived His human life exactly like we did, but He did not sin like you and I sinned. There was no leaven in Him. So again, we see the bread. We see the oil. We see the frankincense. We see the lack of leaven, the fact that no leaven was allowed to be put in the meat offering. All of these picture Christ, represent Christ. We see Christ in the meat offering. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Leviticus chapter 2. Let me show you one more thing, and then we'll kind of shift gears a little bit. Leviticus chapter number 2. And I want you to notice verse 11. And Leviticus 2.11, it says this, No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven, for ye shall burn no leaven. But I want you to notice this. It also says, Nor any honey, nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. So they're not allowed to put leaven, and they're not allowed to put honey into this offering. And, you know, I, I looked at a lot of references about honey. I did a lot of study on honey, and I couldn't really figure out the, the, the issue with honey. The only thing that I, could, uh, that I could make the connection with honey is this, that honey is probably mentioned in this text as being not allowed to be part. Because if you notice, it's made in connection with the leaven. He says, no leaven and no, uh, uh, nor any honey. Honey is probably mentioned because of the high sugar content of honey. It is easily fermented into an alcoholic 
uh, you know, honey wine beverage uh, known as mead. And mead is, uh, in a simple form, is basically just honey and water. So probably because of the fact that honey can easily be fermented, it's not, you know, God did not want it to be. Because that's basically leaven, you know, is the equivalent of, of having something get fermented. So that's why God did not want it there. And that's why it's also, you know, silly to, to think, you know, that God doesn't want us to partake, you know, at the Lord's Supper. He doesn't want us to eat bread that has leaven in it, but then people want to drink fermented alcohol, you know, and, and call that the Lord's Passover or call that the Lord's Supper. It's ridiculous, you know, all throughout the Bible, God is telling us to not, you know, to not drink things that are fermented. And, he, and he's telling us that leaven is a picture of sin. And as far as the sacrifices are concerned, it's always not allowed. So we see that the meat offering is a picture of Christ. We, we saw all the characteristics, all the representations. But the second thing I want you to notice tonight is this. Not only is the meat offering a picture of Christ, but if you'd like to write the statement down, number two tonight, the meat offering was a payment to the priest. The meat offering was a payment to the priest. And I want you to notice that these priests, remember last week we read about everything that priests were, were told to do? I mean, if someone showed up with an ox or someone showed up with a, with, a, with a bull, or someone showed up with a cow. I mean, that was a lot of work. They had to, fray, they had to remove all the skin. For, you know, they have to kill the animal. They have to remove all the skin. They have to cut it up into pieces. They have to burn it, you know, till the entire thing was burned. And that was a lot of work. Now, that was the burnt sacrifice. And if you remember, the, the, the main characteristic of the burnt sacrifice is the fact that it was a sacrifice wholly given to God. Is your, the whole thing, all of it was burnt upon the altar. The meat offering, we see a difference in the meat offering, if you contrast it to the, to the burnt offering, in the sense that not all of it is burnt up. In fact, most of it is not burnt up, and it's given to the priest. And here's why. Because the priest is working hard. The priest is a full-time employee, and he's, you know, people are bringing sacrifices every day. The Bible makes a reference to a, bur- a daily burnt sacrifice. Could you imagine, you know, every day your job, and it's not just one priest, obviously, but every day your job is to cut up a bull and burn it every day. <laughs> you know, that's your job. And then alongside with that, you're doing all these other sacrifices. So they need to get paid. Because the Bible teaches that the laborer is worthy of his reward. Leviticus chapter 2, look at verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take, notice, he shall take their out. You see that word, their out? Okay? Meaning he's going to take out of the meat offering his handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar. Now that word memorial, it's referring to just a portion of it. Most of it is not going to get burnt up, but a portion of it does get burnt up in, in memory, you know, remembering the fact that it's given to God and it's a sacrifice given to God. But unlike the burnt sacrifice, not the whole thing gets burnt up, up, uh, 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 upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Notice, uh, notice verse number three. And the remnant. So remember, he he took he he took a handful there out, right? And that was the memorial, and he put it on the altar, and they burn it. What do they do with the rest? Verse three. And the remnant, meaning what's left over of the meat offering. Notice 
shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offering of the Lord made by fire. So people brought this meat offering down. You know, they bring, the, they bring this big sack of flour and they bring all this oil and they bring all this frankincense and then Aaron just basically grabs a handful Throws it on the altar, grabs a handful of oil, grabs a handful of frankincense, throws it on the altar, cooks it up, makes a memorial, makes a burnt offering, and then the rest, the priest got to keep it. The priest lived off it. Look, look, skip down to verse number 8. Notice what the Bible says. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 8. And thou shalt bring the meat offering that is made of these things unto the Lord, and when it is presented unto the priest, he shall bring it unto the altar. Notice verse 9. And the priest... Notice these words, shall take from the meat offering a memorial thereof and shall burn it. Will burn what? The memorial thereof upon the altar. It is an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Notice verse 10. And that which is left, what didn't get burnt up of the meat offering, notice, shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offering of the Lord made by fire. So I want you to notice the sacrifice is different in the sense that the whole thing doesn't get burnt up. In fact, only a, only a handful gets burnt up. A handful of flour, a handful of oil, a handful of, of, of frankincense, they, they throw it in. And even if the people brought it already baked, the, the cake and the, and, and the, and the uh, what was it? What was the word there? It wasn't waffles. Was it waffles? What was, it, what was the word? Wafers, yeah, wafers. I'm, you can tell I'm hungry. You know, and they bring the waffles and the donuts, right? And they take 12 of the 12. They only throw one in the... Anyway, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you kept your place there in 1 Corinthians. That's why we bring donuts every Sunday to church. It's a meat offering unto the Lord. And we burn one donut and then we eat the rest. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You say, why is this important? All right? Why is it important? Here's what I understand. Obviously, God did not expect the Levites to work a full-time job for God and then not be taken care of physically. So the whole, the, the burnt offering is mentioned first because that's the one that's given completely to God. But then now we begin to see how these guys live because they're doing these sacrifices, but they get to keep. You know, they get to take that flour home. They get to take the oil home. They get to take the burnt uh, sacrifice, uh, the, 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 the frankincense home, and they get to use it for their own sustenance, for their own livelihood, to uh, be able to take care of their wives and their children. You say, well, well, why are you making a big deal about that? Here's why I'm making a big deal about that. Because today, there is a movement, and it is a growing movement, even among independent federal Baptists. There is a movement that is anti-church, anti-pastor, anti-tithing, where people will say, oh, pastors shouldn't get paid. New Testament pastors should not get paid. You don't need to pay them. We don't need to tithe. We don't even need to go to church. You know, we can just meet in our living room and call that church. That is unscriptural, and I'm going to prove that to you from the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I was going to have you uh, start at verse 13, but you know what? Let's start at verse number, uh, let's see, 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Keep in mind, the Levitical priest, brought, they brought the sacrifice. He did the sacrifice and then he ate off the rest. That's how he got paid. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Today we're being told you don't have to tithe. Tithing is not for New Testament believers. Pay close attention because I'm going to disprove that to you right now. 
First Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse number 7. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? When I was in the Air Force and they deployed me to Qatar, they didn't, they didn't come to me and say, hey, you're getting deployed to Qatar. We need you to go on Priceline and get your own plane ticket, you know, and see if you can pick up a rifle and, you know, maybe a duffel bag or something and try to... No, look, when, when, you're, when you're in the military, they take, they take care of all that. If they're going to send you off to war... They get the plane for you. They give you the rifle. They give you the uniforms. That's what he's saying here. Notice, notice verse 7. Who goeth to warfare any time at his own charges? Who, here's another illustration. Who planted the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? He says, who's going to take the time to plant a vineyard and then when fruit comes out of it, is not going to grow, is not going to eat of that, uh, of that fruit? Or who feedeth a flock and needeth not of the milk thereof. He says, who takes care of a flock, making sure a flock is taken care of, and then doesn't eat from what that flock produces? Verse 8, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also, for it is written. He's going to quote the Old Testament. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Now, here's what I understand. The principle is this. If you've got an ox and the ox is working, the ox is plowing the, the ground, preparing the ground so that you can plant it, so that you can sow, so that you can get, get a harvest. He said, and that ox is out there, and while he's out there, you know, you've got a field that you're plowing, but right next to you, you've got all this corn, or you've got all this, you know, whatever is growing, and as that ox is working hard and plowing that field, he kind of just leans over and eats some of that, you know, uh, some, some of the stuff that's already grown up. God says, hey, don't muzzle the ox. He said, don't, don't cause the ox to not be able to eat because he says, if he's working, let him eat. If he's producing, let him eat. Notice what he says. For he's written, uh, verse 9, for he's written the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Does God take care for ox? So again, you know, He's, he's saying, did God say this because he loves animals and his animal rights, okay? And look, and we ought to be good to animals. Obviously, you shouldn't abuse animals, right? That's weird. But, you know, is he saying this because of animal rights? Notice verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. He said, look, this is an illustration for us to learn, of, for, to learn about. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Here's what he's saying. Someone who's working hard in hope, hoping, believing that something good is going to come from it, should be able to partake of that work and labor that they've done. Look at verse 11. For we have sown unto you spiritual things. So he's going to make the application now. He says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things. He said, if we've, if we've helped you spiritually, if you've grown spiritually, if you've learned from the, from the ministry. Here he's talking to a church about spiritual ministry. He says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, and, and, and if you haven't caught on, he's talking about a pastor or a spiritual leader in the New Testament. I think the book of 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Is that not right? I think it was a local church. And he's saying, look, if, if someone's working hard in hope, he said, then you take care of them. You don't muzzle the ox. And, and here's, here's the point. I'll give you the, the, the example that he's given. When we started Verity Baptist Church, my wife and I started Verity Baptist Church six and a half years ago. When we were meeting, we were meeting in our living room. 
And, you know, I think the first six months, we averaged like 13 people or something. You know, it was like 10 people were coming to church. All right? I was working a full-time job. I was working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and I was preaching three sermons a week. I was out soul winning multiple times during the week. I was, you know, trying to help this church get started and get growing. And, and here's the thing. For like, I don't know the exact numbers. I'll have to go back and look. But I think it was like the first three and a half years of our church's existence, I didn't get a paycheck at all. Never, never took a payment uh, because there was no, no, no paycheck to be had. You know, there was not enough money to be able to do, uh, to, to be able to pay an employee with. And I just worked. You know, I just got up early. I just, you know, and, and, and by the way, this is why I think it's good for guys to, in some ways, I think it's good if they can just start a church with no one in it. Because it just makes you work. It makes you sink or swim. I look at these guys today that want to be pastors, and they're all just like, oh, I need to have, you know, all this time, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. Look, you can't go start a church with that attitude. I worked, you know, I would get up at 5 a.m. every day, not because I am an early riser, because I am not an early riser. I would get up at 5 a.m. every day. You know why? Because I needed an hour and a half to be able to work on my sermons before I could go to work. All right? And, you know, I went soul winning all day Saturday. I worked on, there's many times I worked on Sunday morning before church. I'd come to church. I'd preach. I'd go back to work. I'd work all afternoon. I'd come back, preach Sunday night. And look, I was doing it. No one was paying me. I was just doing it because I love the Lord, because I believe this is what God had for us to do. And I believe this is God's will. And all, all I'm telling you, I'm not telling you that to make you feel sorry for me. I'm just saying that when, the, when you do that and you plow in hope, and you're working hard, then guess what? When the fruit comes, and when the church grows, and when the finances are there, then you let the ox eat. Amen. Then you let you t- take care of them. You, you, you pay the bills, you know? And let me say this to you guys that want to be pastors. You need to learn how to get up early, stay up late, and quit complaining about, I need this time off, and I need... Look, you start a church, you're not going to get any time off for about three and a half years. And that's if you can get it off the ground in three and a half years. You know, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't take a day off today. I don't have a day off now. I don't have a day that it's like, this is my day off. Now, our staff, they have a day off. I make sure they have a day off, you know. They've got their days, and I don't bother them on their day off, but I don't. Say, why? Because I'm the pastor. Because I need to be available for you. Because you'd be shocked, even in a church our size, how many phone calls I take and how many meetings I have to go to and how many appointments I have to go to. And I'm just telling you, here's the other application. If you want to be a pastor, you got to work like an ox. you got to work hard. you got to get up early and stay up late and quit complaining. And when people say to me, like, well, I can't do that because I don't want I just think to myself, you're going to fail in the ministry. You will not make it. And look, there's many guys that don't make it in the ministry. We're told the average church shuts down. In the first, within the first five years. Why? Because it's too much work. Because it's too hard. Because they can't deal with it. But here we're told, look, if you're plowing in hope, if you're working hard in hope, then you feed the ox. Then you feed the worker. Notice, notice verse 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, if you came to this church and you got saved, you came to this church and you got baptized, you came to this church and say, I start, I've learned things, I've grown, I started sowing. Look, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap of you carnal things? Is it a great thing that you pay our rent and our grocery bill and our, you know, whatever? You say, well, I don't think you should be talking about that. I'm just saying that's what the Bible says. Look at verse 12. If others be partaker of this power over you, are not we rather... 
Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which... Now notice verse 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things... What's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament priest. He says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Isn't that what we just read? You bring a meat sacrifice, they minister in that holy thing, but they live off that thing too. They live off that sacrifice. Look at verse 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Look at verse 14. You need to underline these these, uh, uh, two words in your Bible. Even so. Even so. You know what that means? In the same way. Here's what he's saying. In, the, in what way? In the same way that in the Old Testament, the priests got paid, the priests were taken care of financially. In verse 14, he says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Here's what he's saying. You pray, you pay the New Testament preacher of the gospel the same way you paid the Old Testament priest. How did you do that? Through the tithes and offerings that came into the house of God. And people say, you New Testament uh, believers aren't supposed to tithe. Oh, really? Well, he just told you that you pay the pastor the same way you paid the priest. Amen. You do that through the tithe. And I'm going to prove that to you that it's the tithe here in a minute. But here's what I want you to understand. The Bible never teaches that someone should work hard and then not get paid. Right. And if you look at these churches where the pastors don't get paid, they're dead. You got churches where the pastors are just, you know, preaching these lame 10-minute sermons. And look, you, you want to preach sermons that engage people, that help people, that help them. It's a lot of work. Amen. It's work to write. And if you don't know how much work it is, why don't you try to write a sermon and get up here and preach it and, ha- and engage with people and help them grow and help them learn. It's a lot of work. And, and, you know, the other application I always make is you guys that want to be pastors, learn how to work. Learn how to get up. And learn how to, st- how, to, how to stay awake and learn how to pray and learn how to write sermons. And if you, you know, I got to show up late and I got to leave early and I've got too much going on, just don't go into the ministry. Just don't do it. You're going to fail. It's going to be an embarrassment to you and to us. Just don't do it. When we started Verity Baptist Church, I mean, even now, we're usually the last ones to leave the building. My wife and I are usually the last ones to leave the building every service. You say, why? Because I'm the pastor. That's why. And, and, you know, guys want to be pastors, but it's like, well, you know, don't, don't take up too much of my time. You're going to fail in ministry. I'm just telling you, if you don't develop a work ethic, if you don't figure out how to get up early, how to stay late, how to, you know, meet all those qualifications and just be a hard worker, it's not, it's not going to happen. Even if they give you a church with 100 people, you'll ruin it because it requires work. It's hard work. And the reason that churches are lame and liberal today want to show up and just be casual and be lazy. Why? Because guys don't know how to get up and work. That's why. Because they're liberal. That's why. Go back to Leviticus chapter 2. But the point I want to make is this. How do you pay, according to 1 Corinthians 9, how do you pray the, the spiritual leader in the New Testament? How do you do it? Even so, in the same way that you paid the priest. How do you pay the priest? Through the offerings that were offered, through the tithes that were offered in the Old Testament. So when people say today, oh, you're not supposed to pay the pastor, just just mark this down. You're an idiot, and you've never read the Bible, because it's very clear in Scripture, you don't muzzle the ox and tread without the corn. You pay, the laborer is worthy of his reward. You pay him. How do you pay him? 
Same way you paid the Old Testament priests. That's the tithe right there. And there's other places where the tithe is mentioned in the New Testament. But right there, how can you get away from the fact that you're supposed to tithe? And people always want to come to me and say, well, I, I, I believe, you know, I just don't think you should uh, mandate 10%. When have we ever mandated anything here? When have we ever said, like, you must show up to Sunday night service and you must give? Look, you know, the only power we have as preachers is the power of influence. It's the power of preaching the word of God and hoping that the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart and you get right with God. I mean, we don't mandate anything, so that's stupid to begin with. But then they always want to say this. I just think it ought to be, you know, a gift from the heart. And I don't think you ought to mandate 10%. Okay, then why don't you just give 15% and call it good? Give 20% of your income and call it good. Praise the Lord. God will pay you back for it. But you know, it's always like, no, I want to give 2%. Every, you know, once every six months. They always want to do less. Why don't you just do what God told you to do? Leviticus chapter 2, look at verse 12. Leviticus chapter 2. Now let me show you how this first fruits offering is connected to the tithe. Leviticus chapter 2, look at verse 12. Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 12. Leviticus 2, 12. Notice what the Bible says. And as the oblation of the first fruits, see that first fruits? Ye shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. And every oblation of the meat offerings shall thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Look at verse 14. And if thou offer a meat offering, notice, if thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits. Do you see that? If you offer a meat offering of thy first fruits. So we see the connection there between the first fruits and the meat offering. The meat offering could be an offering all on its own, or it could be a meat offering from the first fruits unto the Lord. Thou shalt offer the meat offering of thy first fruits, green ears of corn dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of full ears, and thou shalt put oil upon it and lay frankincense thereon. It is a meat offering, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beaten corn thereon, and part of the oil thereon, and all the frankincense thereon. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now let's run a couple of verses and show you how this is, co- how we saw that it's connected to the first fruits, all right? So let me show you how the first fruits is the tithe. Go to second, uh, let's see, where do we want to go? Second Chronicles chapter 31. Second Chronicles 31. If you're Leviticus, you're going to go Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd, 1st Chronicles. 1st, uh, 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Chronicles chapter 31. Find those one, two books. 1st, 2nd uh, Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Chronicles 31. And by the way, let me say this. You know, because people are often like, oh, you're so hard on these guys that want to be pastors. You know, if you're going to go pastor a church and you're going to expect people to go and work, go and work, and then bring a portion of that money to the house of God so that you can be paid, then look, you need to work. You need, I don't think it's that hard. You know? and, and, and these guys, you know, we have like, uh, we, we, we added more people to our spiritual leadership class. I think we have like 15 people in our class now uh, starting this week. And look, I don't feel bad. for. I'm going to put more work on them. Just be warned. Starting this for next class, there's more work that will be added to your class. You say, why? well, pastor, why are you adding us so much work? Because it's work to be a pastor. Because it's work. It's hard. Because you have to actually care. Because you have to actually try. Some of you need to try to just smile. Some of you need to try to just show up a little early and stay a little late and, you know, try to write a sermon. And I don't understand how we have a Saturday morning, you know, uh, opportunity to preach. And we're like, it's like, you know, pulling teeth 
to try to get guys to preach on Saturday morning. But they all want to be pastors. But none of them wants to show up on Saturday morning to preach because there's too much work. And how are you going to do that? How are you going to take care of that? Man, when I was 21 years old, I drove 1,500 miles to Phoenix, Arizona for an opportunity to preach. One service. Why? Because I wanted to preach. Because I felt that God called me into the ministry. And, and today we can't even get guys to show up on Saturday morning to preach. You know, we're probably going to do away with the whole preaching thing because no one wants to preach. And I work way too hard to write a 10-minute sermon on Saturday. And you say, Pastor, I'm just trying to tell you guys, it's work to be a pastor. So why don't you show some work? Why don't you show some effort? Why don't you show up early, stay late, fellowship, show some hospitality, write some sermons, go out soul winning, and try to act and look like a pastor so that we can say, yeah, that's a future pastor. Let me lay my hands on him. I'm just not that impressed. I'm not impressed with, in our church, I'm not impressed in other churches I've seen, I'm not impressed with the next generation of guys that want to come up. I just don't really see them cutting the mustard. I think they're a little weak. I think you need to buck up. I think you need to get stronger. Yes, I am rebuking you. Leviticus 2, look at verse 12. Or 2 Chronicles 31, look at verse 5. And, and you guys are, ah, oh, pastor, I'm mad at you. You think I give a rat's tail if you're mad at me? My pastor, my, your wife's mad at me. There's one lady in this world I'm worried about not being mad at me, and it's not your wife. I, I could care less if you're mad at me. I could care less. Uh, pastor, I'm not going to shake your hand. You think, I get, you think I care? I'd rather you just work. I'd rather you just preach. I'd rather you just get right with God, and if you need to not be my friend, that's fine with me. I don't, I've got enough friends. I've got a wife. That's the only friend I need. Jesus and my wife. We're good to go. Second Chronicles 31, look at verse 5. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits, the first fruits of corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and all of the increase, all of the increase of the field of the tithe. See that? Of all things brought they in abundantly. What's the first fruit? Is the tithe. Why? Because your tithes are supposed to be your first fruits, by the way. When you tithe, you don't, you don't tithe if you've got 10% left over. You give God first. You pay God first. Right. It's your first fruits. Go to Nehemiah 10. Look at verse 37. Nehemiah 10, verse 37. Nehemiah, you're there in 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Say, Pastor, why are you so mean to these guys? How, how are you going to make it when the media is being mean to you? How are you going to make it when 600 protesters show up and they want to kill you? You can't take a pastor being a little mean to you, telling you to quit whining and just get right with God and do right. Smile every once in a while. Act like you love the Lord. Act like you're out, you know, having a heart attack. Nehemiah 10, look at verse 37. Nehemiah 10, verse 37. And that we should bring the first fruits. And that we should bring the first fruits of our dough and of our offerings and of the fruit of all the manner of trees, of wine and of oil, unto the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithes and of our ground, unto the Levites, that the same Levites might have the tithes of all the cities of our tillage. So you see the connection? Notice verse, the, the first part of the verse. It's first fruits, it's tithes. It's all connected. It's the same thing. So how do the priests live? Off the tithes of people. How do the people of God, how do the New Testament pastors, evangelists, whatever, how do they live today? Off of the tithes of the people. It's the same thing. Even as, in the same way. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. It's the last one we'll look at. Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verse 9. Proverbs 3 and verse 9. And, and let me say this. Since I've already, it's already, you're already mad at me. 
I just, because I don't, maybe I don't say this enough. If I'm supposed to ordain you the ministry, I will pull the plug. I don't care if it's the night before you're supposed to get ordained. I will pull the plug on it. I'm not going to send people out there that aren't ready for ministry, and you're not ready for ministry if you're not mature enough to be given to hospitality and to meet the qualifications of a spiritual leader. If you work for me, I will fire you. If you can't figure out how to make things work. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, maybe every once in a while it's just good to put that out there. You 15 guys, you want to be pastors? I will kick you out of the class. I'm not playing. I'm just sick and tired of this attitude like, oh, it's a pastor. We get mad at pastor. I don't care if you're mad at me, but you show smile. You smile. You show respect to my wife. You show respect to the people in this church. You get right with God or you get out. Do you understand? I worked way too hard not getting paid for years and years to build this ministry to have some 20-year-olds running around saying, I'm at a pastor, and I'm going to be a pastor one day. Probably not, the way you're going at it. Probably not, the way you're going at it. Proverbs 3, look at verse 9. Proverbs 3, 9. Pastor, why are you preaching that? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon me, I get anointed with the oil. Proverbs 3, look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Honor the Lord with thy substance. And with the first fruits of all thine increase. I want you to notice, here's the great thing about tithing, which I never understand why people don't want to tithe. This is tithing, by the way. Tithing is the one thing, in the, the financial thing in the Bible that is given a blessing. There's a blessing associated with tithing. Look at verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy prices shall burst out with new wine. That's tithe. That's tithing. God says, I'll take care of you. And look, I've been tithing my whole life, and I'm not rich by any stretch of the imagination. But I can tell you this. God has always taken care of us. God has always met our needs. God's always, you know, our, our barns have been filled with plenty, and our presses have burst out with new wine. You know, so don't let people tell you, oh, you're not supposed to tithe in the New Testament. Okay, well, you are supposed to pay the pastor you are supposed to pay the spiritual leadership of the New Testament. And God tells us you're supposed to do it the same way you do it to the priest. And how do you do it to the priest? To the tithe. And by the way, let me just say this. The point of a tithe, the point of tithing is to acknowledge the fact that every good gift comes from above. And everything you have, everything you have was given to you by God. And you, there's nothing you have because you went to college. There's nothing you have because you're so smart. No, it's God gave it to you. And that's why we give it back. We give an offering back to the Lord to acknowledge that. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I pray you'd help us to work hard. Lord, not just the pastors or the guys that want to be pastors. Lord, I pray for everybody in this church to work hard, to develop a work ethic. Lord, to, to realize that what we do here is serious work. What we do here is for God. And you need to get on board or you need to get out. You need to get with it or you need to get out of the way. Lord, I pray you'd help us to realize that the work that's being done here, it's a spiritual work. We have to bring in the tithes to pay for the lights, to pay for the chairs, to pay the rent, to pay for the, the donuts. We have to bring in the money to pay for all those things, Lord, but it's because we're doing a spiritual work. We're doing a great work in a spiritual sense. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.